Hello there, friends. I'm Richard Kisnan. We all knew it was coming. Adulthood, relationships and marriage, business, health, money, bills, fitness. If you're like me, we didn't think that life would come at us like this. I welcome you to join me for raw, authentic, and hopefully really fun conversations about coming into your own as an adult and to help you create a powerful life of your design. This is the Adulthood Revisited Podcast. Hey there, AR Nation. A quick announcement I'd like to share with you. It's about an incredibly powerful, high-ticket marketing community that I'm a proud member of. It's called the Super Affiliate Accelerator. This program's absolutely for you if you want to be successful online. Whether you're a beginner looking to get started with an online business, and also if you already have an online business but struggling to reach your goals, the Super Affiliate Accelerator is run by three experienced and amazing coaches. Between the three of them, they've sold millions of dollars in products and services online across all different industries. Why I find the Super Affiliate Accelerator so powerful is because of its unique all-in-one blend of a proven training program, weekly coaching and mentoring from an amazing group of accomplished internet marketers, and a private mastermind community of like-minded and supportive business owners and professionals. For a limited time, the SAA coaches are offering a complimentary business strategy call. So whether you're a coach or consultant, if you provide professional services, or if you just want to start an online business, but you're confused or overwhelmed with where or how to start, I invite you to check out this incredible program, the Super Affiliate Accelerator. And you can learn more today by visiting richardkiston.com forward slash SAA. Again, that's richardkiston.com forward slash SAA. Now, let's get to today's amazing episode. Hey there, how's it going? And welcome back to the Adulthood Revisited Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Kiston. I am so thankful, so blessed, so grateful that you're spending this time, this energy with me. Hopefully you're doing well wherever you are in the world and whatever you're doing. Uh, I'm very excited to bring on the show today a friend, colleague, mentor, Anand Kapasi. Anand is a business attorney, practices here in the tri-state area, uh, New York, New Jersey, handling all kinds of disputes between businesses, between partners, uh, some other things as well. He'll dive into that. But Anand, welcome to the Adulthood Revisit Podcast, my friend. Man, this is it's great to be here. I've 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 only heard great things. I've listened to the podcast. I feel honored to be on today. Awesome, I heard great things, and you're about to contribute to that legacy. So I'm very excited. Um, so let's start. I mean, you and I know each other from a mutual networking organization, BNI. Um, and I mentioned mentor. Anand is my mentor in the group. Um, has provided me with like a wealth of advice uh, in our conversations. So maybe he'll dive into some of that today. But Anand, I want to give you the floor. Um, maybe share a little about who you are, what your background is, and how you got from wherever it is you're from to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, so happy to be on here. Uh, and thanks for giving me this, uh, this platform, this opportunity. I think it's great what you do. Um, so I'm, I'm originally born, raised uh, in New Jersey. I was born in Hoboken, uh, New Jersey. We lived in lots of areas of northern New Jersey uh, when I was a kid, uh, North Bergen, Weehawken, Union City. Eventually, my parents, you know, uh, my family moved down to the suburbs in New Jersey, uh, South, South Brunswick, New Jersey, which is in uh, the central part of the state. Um, and from there, you know, I went to high school there. I went to I went to college at Rutgers University, which was about 20 minutes away from my house. Uh, and so I've always been 
<clears throat> in New Jersey, excuse me. And after college, I actually made the move and I went to, I went to law school and finished law school in um, New York City at Cardozo Law School. And, uh, you know, now I live in, in New York City. We actually moved during this pandemic, my wife and I. And so we've been here this entire time. Um, so that's been a whole interesting uh, perspective. I know you've been in Queens this, this entire time. You also moved, I think, to, during the pandemic. So I think we probably have a lot of uh, interesting things to share on that. But, uh, but yes, yeah, so I've been living in New York City now for the past three years. Before that, I lived in Jersey City, New Jersey uh, for about 10 years. Um, and I've been practicing law since uh, 2007, so almost 14 years uh, now. And um, out, of law, out of law school, I worked at a uh, small boutique law firm in Midtown Manhattan. Um, and while I was there, I actually heard about this networking group that we're now a part of, uh, BNI, Business Networking International. And I joined a chapter while I was at my, my previous law firm. And I remember at the time, the partners that my firm were, uh, you know, not necessarily discouraging me from uh, joining a networking group, but they were like, well, what are you going to get out of this group? Uh, what's going to, what, you know, are you going to get business? I'm like, yeah, I hope so. It's a bunch of business people and I'm a business attorney. So I, I think I should be able to get business. It makes sense. Um, and so, you know, I, I was in the chapter for about four years and I, I, um, met my now current, uh, partner, Joe Jones in that, in our chapter. And then, uh, we became partners and I moved over to, uh, join him at his firm, uh, probably just, just shy of five years ago. Um, so uh, it's been about five years now that we've been partners together and all came from, from B&I and, uh, yeah, so that's, that's what brings me, you know, kind of, kind of here now. There's, there's, th and thank you for sharing that, that, I mean, your journey to, you know, to where you are today. And there's a lot that I'd like to dive into and unpack there. Let me start off with what becoming a lawyer, like when, when was the first time it, that possibility existed or opened up for you like when when you were in college high school uh, or beyond and what what were you thinking maybe in those years to then actually taking the steps to where you are today yeah it's a great question actually my first exposure to it was when i was in grade school i went to a uh, catholic private grade school in secaucus new jersey when i was a kid from kindergarten through eighth grade and when i was in the eighth grade we had a an interesting project where we held a trial for the King of England. Um, and this was supposed to teach us sort of how the Revolutionary War started, how America gained its independence. And so we said that the, my, my teacher at the time, Sister Eileen, she was in you know, the Catholic school. So Sister Eileen set it up in a way that it was like, it was, it, there was a defense team, there was a uh, prosecution team, there were witnesses, we had to like kind of prepare questions, and I remember I was one of the attorneys on the prosecution, um, and at the time, you know, it was just like, I even borrowed my dad's little 
briefcase, like the ones that snap open, you know, the hard, the hardcover briefcases that like, and the only thing I wanted to do was like, get into the, this fake courtroom, put my briefcase on the desk and like snap the thing open. And like, that would be like my grand entrance. Um, and so, but I had to kind of prepare questions to ask the King of England, the Queen of England, and like cross-examine them <laughs> as, a, as a 12, 13 year old. So that was like my first kind of like foray into that type of a world. And, um, and, and so that's, that's what kind of piqued my interest in it, I would say. And then so after that, I, you know, I went to high school. I've always been good at writing, reading, comprehension. You know, we used to do this, uh, we used to do this thing called diagramming sentences back in grade school. Like it was something that I was really good at. I took AP English classes in high school. Like, so I was always more into reading, writing, and those things as opposed to like math and science. Like that wasn't necessarily my forte. And I, I'm sure you've heard it like, a lot of people joke and say, well, I became a lawyer because I, I didn't want to do math, okay, or science. So, so I think my skill set, like the things that I was good at kind of lent itself to to the law. And, you know, I, I went, when I went to college, I, I did like a very basic, like, liberal arts degree of like economics, political science. And it's like, okay, what are you going to do after that? And I said, okay, I would apply to law school. And so that, that you know, I think it was the, the whole thing of of being exposed to some of it in grade school. I was exposed to some of it in uh, high school as well. I was exposed to some business law classes at Rutgers University in undergrad as well. And so all of those things kind of piqued my interest and kind of led me towards going to law school. Yeah. Well, first of all, Sister Eileen, wherever you are, Anna says thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. She was my teacher in, in eighth grade and in third grade. So th oh, that, wow. you know, we, yeah, we, we have very small school. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Let me ask you this, because this, this is something that's always on my mind as, as, a, as like a first generation American, a minority. How, have you ever given any thought to how being, being a person of color, how that has, has sort of influenced your decision-making through the years, especially in, that's in a white predominated industry like like the legal practice. You know that it's a it's a great question. I've never like consciously thought about it. You, you know when when um, I I'd be lying if I said that I pursued law for a you know that for a greater sense of like justice. That 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 wasn't like my personal uh, like impetus or 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 something that kind of drove me into law that so that wasn't necessarily what what I did it for the reason I like the law is because it's it's like mentally stimulating and challenging um you know I, I like that aspect of it um and the reason I like business law is because it kind of builds you're working with people that are trying to create something you know as opposed to you know, we do some litigation, I do some litigation as well, obviously, and I see that aspect of it, and you've done litigation, you know, litigation is so much more adversarial. Um, and so business law is more like you're creating something, you're like working with people that want to create something different, you know, and so from a diversity standpoint, you know, I have a lot of clients that are like, uh, that are women that have created nonprofits, for example, I, I, I represent multiple nonprofits that are run completely by by women 
right? The whole board is composed of women. And that, you know, that's something that I'm really like super proud of um, because I get to see a completely different perspective. So more than the color aspect of it, when I was growing up, you know, in, in law school, uh, even working in my first firm, it was more male dominated more so than the, I never saw it in terms of color, but I did recognize it was more male dominated. And so even the businesses that we used to represent at my old firm, a lot of the large businesses were male run businesses. So your lens and your perspective and the people that you interacted with was more from that level. So I'm grateful now that I get to see a completely different perspective because it is, it is a different perspective and it, it gives you a much better well-rounded like understanding of people and how they see things, what kind of details they see depending on where they came from or who they are. So, so more than just the color and, and, and minority, it's more, I, I think the gender aspect of it has, has really been something that's like opened my eyes and my wife on top of on top of all of this, my wife is an attorney and she just started her own law firm. So, so I also get to interact with her and see how things are from her perspective as well. So that's what I would say. You, you touched on something that one, one thing that you enjoy about the work that you do and the clients that you, a large majority of the clients or large percentage of the clients that you work with in terms of creating business and doing business is, is that the creation part, like creating something for society. Do you see, or have you ever thought about like, what about, what about exactly creation do you like? I, I always say, I, I generally share this thing, like I think the world belongs to creators. Um, so what about the creation process really like stimulates you and does it for you? It's it just, it's a great question. What just always surprises me in the, all the different types of businesses that I work with, it's something that I never thought was there. I, like for I'll give you a really quick example. I represent this like amazing nonprofit by the name of Fab Scrap. Okay, they do textile recycling, right? In in a very broad nutshell, they they really strive to keep textiles out of um, landfills. A, a somewhat similar to what Serge Lazarev does, but in a, in a, in a different space, it's, they work more with like uh, fabrics that are being discarded, you know, by, by designers and things like that. And that is like the amount of fabric that gets discarded in the world, in the country, let alone the world. It's like mind boggling. I had no idea until I started working with, with the, with the executive director there and learning that, hey, this is a real problem. And like, we, we've come up with like a solution to it. You know, that's, to me, that's creativity. That's like, I never even knew there was an issue. And you get to see all these different crazy, and, and you get to see this life cycle of how a fabric gets created and then it gets recycled. And their whole thing is like, try to try to just keep that loop going and keeping those items out of like landfills. And, I didn't know that was a problem. I, I you know, I, I, when I, when I first met them, I'm like, Oh, I didn't know textile recycling was a, what? Like if when, once I get rid of my clothes, I just give them to Salvation Army and I'm done. But there's this whole industry now that caters to, to, to either textile, electronics, all these different things. There's a specific way that they have to be 
discarded and you want to save the environment. So there's these niche industries of how to recycle those items. So like that, that to me is um, uh, an amazing thing. I get to learn about things that I never knew even existed. And so for me, like they're paying me <laughs> to be their attorney, but for me, I get an education for free essentially. Uh, and, and, and I'm learning about all these different industries and processes. And so that's the part of creativity that I love. That particular company was started by a woman who had this idea and she started on her own. And, and I've been with her since the beginning of the process till now. And now they're a company with, you know, a nonprofit with 10, 12 employees and a big operation to retail spaces. I mean, it's, it's, so, you know, that, that vision that that person had, I get to go along for the ride, which is amazing. That, that, I hear you. Like one, one thing that I really enjoy about the practice of law generally um, is, is like that helping people achieve their goals. And it's cool. Like when, like my client's goals aren't my, like my personal goals. Right. But then to see how, you know, like when they realize those goals and something that was, my life is here, but yeah, see that realized there from the outside looking in is pretty cool. Well, well that's the exact, exactly because your own perspective, right, is so limited, right? It, it, you only encounter what you encounter. You don't get to always delve into all these other, whether it's professional business or personal lives of other people. And the, so you might go through your entire life and not understand, you know, all these other things that are out there that you can learn about, you know, and the law is kind of my conduit into that world, into all these other worlds where I can learn something new, you know, something that, yeah, I have companies that are staffing companies and you think, okay, it's a staffing company. They're just placing people and there's so much more, they're just placing people at jobs, uh, but there's so much more involved with it. It's such a, interpersonal business where you're dealing with actual human people <laughs> you know it's not and and so um the law just kind of gives you a, a little window into some of that stuff it's really cool it's, i think it's just i think it's very cool it's funny. i'm just going to share this real quick it's like some i met with someone earlier and they were sharing with me about a business they they own or part part own it's like a, a career business so i'm like okay do you have any does the business have any assets no you have any employees? No. Do you have an office? No. Like these are the constructs that I think a business at least have to have. And there's like, no, we just have a phone number and we just uh, like subcontract out for, for these. Or I'm like, what? Yeah. It's because so you amazing. think you need to have an office. You need to have a, a location and more and more like all of that stuff doesn't matter as much. You can conduct a business as you can see, obviously through COVID, like you can do it from home. Um, you don't need to necessarily have an office space, you know? Uh, yeah, exactly. I think the questions you were asking were, were based on what your own yeah. perception was of what a, what a business is, you know? So I don't blame you for that. I mean, that's how I would ask the same question. Let me ask you this. Cause you touched on, on some, about, you know, in the creative process, like the people you meet with their visions and their plans and what they want to achieve often pushes the limits of whether what we know or the way we look at the world. How do you feel the law fits in that? Do you think the law, or as an attorney in the practice of law, uh, does that hold back advancement and, and 
because of the framework in which you work, or do you think it facilitates it more than some other system? I don't know what other system it would be, but um, how do you feel like the law either holds it back or acts as a conduit to then achieve what these things are? I, I, I think, you know, from the, I work with mostly like smaller businesses. So I'm not talking about like fortune 500 companies and, and you know, that that's a whole different level. There's regulations and, <clears throat> I personally think for the most part, the laws that are in place are there to sort of facilitate business, but in a fair way, uh, you know? So like you'll have, for example, you know, New York City, for example, has very strict employment laws, okay? And for some businesses, it, it, it might be, you might see it as like a burden, right? Like that, look, I have to pay all these taxes. I got to file all this paperwork. I got to comply with all these laws or I can get sued. And, and, you know, I'm just trying to make a buck and kind of survive here. But, but there's a flip side to all of that, right? It, those types of laws are there and they want you to comply with them because it creates equity in society, right? Because we've been through times where when those laws were not in place, you know, we had child labor, we had people working crazy hours uh, without getting proper compensation. Um, so, so for me, I think the laws are there to, to facilitate the business and also facilitate like equity, okay? And I don't mean necessarily equality, but equity meaning like trying to treat people fairly, that like you get paid honestly for the work that you put in. You know, we're trying to create that type of system. So I don't view those things as, stifling business. I actually see it as a way to create an atmosphere where that person who's working for you and earning a specific amount of money, they now have the ability to go and buy things in the community that ultimately benefits you as, as, as the business owner, um, because it's, it's a huge cycle. Um, so th that's how I kind of look at, at laws that, you know, listen, there, there are definitely laws that are, seem unfair, that seem like they're really uh, making it difficult for businesses to operate. Um, but if you look at them a little bit more closely, there's a reason why they're there. And that's, it's a decision made by the public of how we want to treat people in general. So I, I think it facilitates good business. Is, is there a part of what you do as a lawyer, um, whether that's a business lawyer or a lawyer generally, that a part of the practice that I don't, want, I don't want to just say flat, you don't like, but you wish operated differently? Um, that's a great question. I don't think, you know, I, I really can't think of anything off the top of my head that I would necessarily want changed. Um, I, I think if, you know, there are certain types of laws that are out there that businesses have to comply with that are somewhat technical. And what I mean by that, I don't want to get into like too many specifics, but there's some laws that if you don't do X, Y, and Z, then automatically you have not complied and you can face a penalty for not complying. And there's no discretion whatsoever in that specific type of violation of things. <clears throat> and for me, I, I think that you know, that, that's, I, I don't think that's always great because 
because I think context is very important. If someone violated something, but they really, you know, it wasn't their intent to do that and they weren't trying to evade the law, then I think there needs to be some uh, recognition of that and maybe some leeway granted, you know? So I'm not always a huge fan of, of very like bright line rules. I know when we talked about in, I'm sure in law school, we talked about there's a, there's certain bright line rules, no matter what the intent doesn't matter. Uh, how you did it doesn't matter. Once you cross this line, you are in trouble. Like, so I, I'm not a huge fan of those types of regulations necessarily. Uh, but I think for the most part, I don't have a problem with how, how things are. In, in addition to achieving the result that a client wants when they work with you, what do you want it? What do you want the, the client to experience when they work with you? Or in other words, like when they think or talk about or recommend refer on capacity, what is it that they, that you would like them to say about you or experience working with you? What, what I would, what I want them first and foremost to, to think about and to remember about my representation is that I was honest and straightforward with them. Uh, that, that to me means more than pretty much anything else because, and the reason I say that is because the, you know, the law business, it's hard to give a straight answer to people a lot of times. And, and it's, it's hard to give especially as a small firm, right, practitioner, you know, you want to keep clients, you want to keep them happy. Sometimes it's hard to deliver bad news to them. Sometimes it's hard to tell your client, look, you have a terrible case. You need to go and settle this, or you need to, you know, potentially throw some money at this particular problem, you know, instead of litigating it for five years and then losing at the end of it, you know, because, from from my own personal financial perspective, them litigating a case for five years helps me, right? And and that's not the way I want my clients to operate. I don't want them to operate out of fear. I like to be honest with them and say, look, you don't have a great case. I think you should probably try to maybe settle, okay, to avoid paying a whole bunch of legal fees to me and then being liable anyway. So and my clients appreciate that type of advice. It's straightforward advice. And after that, if they say, you know what? No, we still want to litigate the case. Then that's their choice. And at least they're fully informed. I want them to have full information before they make a decision. You know, you're a litigator. Once you go into court, especially as a, as a business owner, like you can't get out of a case that easily. You're, you're there. And I want them to know exactly what to expect cost wise, time wise. Hey, look, you're going to be sitting for depositions you got to produce documents. I want them to know all of that information so that they can make an informed decision. And so if they recommend me to someone, I want them to be able to say to the person, look, talk to Anand, no matter what, whether you hire him or not, he'll give you good advice and it'll be, it'll be honest and it'll be to the point and straightforward. Um, and so that's, that's the kind of feeling that I want all my clients to have. And, and obviously customer service, right? Like as it's, it's a small firm. I don't have a bunch of associates that I have doing my work for me. Like that personal connection with my clients, that's why they keep coming back. Um, so that's very important to me, be, being responsive to them um, and getting back to them like in a timely fashion. So those, those are the types of things that I really want that my, my clients to enjoy about working with them. On the, on the flip side of that, 
have, have you ever had an experience, let's say in your practice, um, where it wasn't, it, it was trying, right? It really tested your like capacity as a lawyer. And, and you said to yourself, I will never let this happen to me again. There's been plenty of instances like that where, <clears throat> and you learn with experience as a, as a younger attorney, you, you know, you also personally don't, and I like to use the litigation example a lot only because it's, it, 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 it's, it's, uh, it's a really good way to understand like why you should be straightforward with your clients. Like what, if you tell your client, look, this is a great case. Let's go for it. Yeah. This is, this is a good, like, that's just, then you find yourself in this case, then you find yourself with an unhappy client. Okay. And you tell yourself very quickly, I will never let this happen again. Okay. Because I, I don't, I personally don't want to feel like this. I don't want my client to feel like I didn't give them all the information before they made a decision of going into litigation, for example, like I said, like, like, you know, so, so yes, I've had instances where that has happened and the client, you know, is saying to me, well, I wish I had known this before and I would have, maybe I would have made a different decision or maybe we would have taken a different tactic. So yeah, it doesn't happen anymore ever to me because um, I, I, I know that I, I, I overshare with my clients. I give them all their options in writing, like out on the table, uh, because it has burned me in the past, and um, and I would never let that happen again. You you shared that your wife is also a lawyer and whatnot, and I, I curiously, um, what do you ever find yourself, uh, or I guess the question that I want to ask is like, does work come home? with either one or both of you and you find yourselves like being lawyer how, how is that relationship do you keep do you manage to like keep it separate and apart or um if you, well, if you want to that a little bit yeah yeah well work is home right now okay that's, so, that's... so I, I don't even have to bring it in it's here man. it's it's here all the time uh yeah it's a, it's such a great question yeah it, it's there you know like my wife and I, we, we're both attorneys. We do different areas of law and, and we work in very different ways. It's, our working styles are different. The way we look at things is different as far as our cases are concerned because we're in different areas of the law. But yeah, we can't help but like sometimes talk about cases as far as, oh, let's do, I have this one case and I, you know, it's usually more like frustration. Oh, I got to get this done by tomorrow. But for the most part, when it's time to be home and like have dinner and whatever watch tv or do something together we try not to talk about work at all if we can you know sometimes it comes up organically because scheduling you know like for example like oh hey you want to go to the beach tomorrow well no i can't because i got to do this deposition or whatever. you know so it comes up in that aspect a little bit more but we really do try to keep it at the office wherever that <laughs> wherever that may be we try to we try to keep it at the office yeah, I mean, the we, talk, I, we talk, we, we actually talk more about like law firm management more than we do specific cases, you know, because like, it's just interesting. Oh, how are you like, how are you staying in touch with your referral sources? Like, how, what do you do? You know, because we try to find new ways to kind of like be creative about that kind of stuff. Um, so it's more, uh, it's more about, you know, how do we market our practice? What do we do to stay in touch with people, to get introductions to new people? 
you know, so we talk more about that than we do specific like cases or our frustrations with our cases. Yeah. Um, the reason I asked that question, because I know in the past, in past relationships, uh, I think I'm more cognizant of it today than I have been in the past, but I would always, it, not always, but a lot of the time in relationships, not listen to like issues or just feeling what, who I was seeing was feeling, but rather trying to like analyze and solve, which is kind of the same yeah. lens that I, I, I do at work, but um, so I'm just curious, like how that operates in the context of your life. Oh, yeah. I, it's, my wife does not analyze and solve. That's not her. She's not, if I'm telling her about a problem, she's just allowing me to vent about something, which is what you want a person to do. If she's doing it to me, if she's venting about a problem, it, immediately I'm like, well, why don't you do it this way <laughs> and, and solve the issue? And, and a lot of times it's important like she'll tell me she's like i wasn't asking really for your opinion on like, on that issue i've just wanted to talk about it and like kind of talk it out in a different way i just really was just trying to vent and so yeah i do exactly what you said i'm usually the person's like okay well there's a problem let's go try to solve it you know because i'm i think very linearly like that okay problem here's the solution let's implement the solution and it's gone you know, and it doesn't always work. It definitely doesn't work that way. So um, it's, it's very interesting you brought that up. That's, that's how I think. And I've been working very hard to just be a listener more, more than uh, someone who's like giving advice all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a huge skill and I've been called out on it time and time again. So that's why I'm always, especially in the context of like relationships, like how, how people have grown to, to like, or hone that listening skill um, it always fascinates me that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, if, if putting aside the practice of law for a bit, if you could do something else in life, have you ever thought about that? Like what else or what in, uh, instead of law, what would you think you'd be doing? Yeah. yeah it, it's such a great question. You know, this is where the minority kind of aspect comes into play. I'm Indian. Right. And so when you're, growing up first generation Indian. I was born here. My parents born in India. They came here when they were right before I was born. Um, the, you know, and, and they weren't, they're not professionals. My parents were both just normal working people. They worked for the city of New York. Uh, my, my dad worked at the HPD. My mom worked at the Metropolitan Hospital in patient accounts. So they worked for the government and they weren't rich by any stretch of the imagination. So all they cared about was our education. So what, and this is a very common story in Indian culture, Asian culture. I mean, it's, it's you know, as you, as you well know. And so you're always told, be a doctor, be a engineer, not a lawyer though, but, but even a lawyer is like kind of acceptable. So I always kind of had this thing in the back of my head. I had to either be a doctor, an engineer or some professional, you know? And so I kind of um, set myself up to go in that direction to get a professional degree. I never gave myself an opportunity to understand that there's, so many different types of businesses and careers out there that people can be successful at, you know, like, because it was always instilled in me that these are the successful careers. Like I wasn't going to be a, a basketball player or anything like that. You know, I wasn't going to be a professional athlete. So 
to me, it was like, okay, it's either a professional athlete or you're going to be a doctor, lawyer, or engineer. So I only looked at it through that way. Looking back at it now, one industry that I would have absolutely loved to go into was some type of like sports journalism or um, like sports radio. Because I love, personally, I love sports. I love sports radio. And like, there's a lot of people that are in sports radio and it's like a very unique business. And there's a lot of people that are successful in it. And like, if I could have been a sports center anchor or, you know, that specific industry is something that I would love to have gotten into if I wasn't an attorney. I'm so glad you you shared that because like, I I know that I've realized that about myself and I, and I, as I look back on my life, I realized the same thing. My parents, my dad, Guyanese, my mom, Dominican, first generation American here. For the longest time, I thought I was either going to be one of two things. It was going to be a doctor or a lawyer. That was it. There was nothing else in between. Um, it's only in the last several years where I even, even though I, I run my own practice as a lawyer, it's like, well, I can, I can do more and be more than just be a lawyer running his own business and whatnot. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm really glad to share that because it's, it can be, I don't know if you feel this way and this is getting a little off topic, but it can be sometimes a lonely feeling. Um, like I feel unfortunate. I grew up in New York city where like a diversity didn't hit me until later on in life, but growing up, there wasn't much, like all my public education, kindergarten through fifth and sixth grade, like everyone, everyone was practically a person of color. Um, and then it wasn't until later where the issues of diversity came to, but, and then I think later on in life, I started realizing how, what kind of, it's somewhat lonely in what you do and how you do it. And, and sort of maybe the opportunities that you, you may have missed in the past because of, and again, no fault of their own, but like parents thinking and whatnot. Yeah, because you're, you're, you're kind of being directed to kind of only look at certain avenues, right? And because, because those are the most successful avenues for minorities to get out of whatever situation they might be in, right? It's like, look, if you, if you study and you take this path, and you work hard, that's the way, like, like do it that way. So like, I can understand like a parent who's not making, just comes to this country, not making a lot of money. They want their kids to do better. I can see why they would want to push you in that direction because it's like, it's like somewhat guaranteed success, right? In a way, Um, as opposed to like, if you're going to be the sports journalist, okay. Or you want to go in some other field, you might have to really like, earn your place over the course of years right you could be you know making very little money for like eight years like being a beat reporter okay because you love it and and then becoming like an ultimately like very successful and and that becoming your career and so of of course your parents are not going to push you towards that because it's not that guaranteed like okay you go to college three years of law school and then you'll have a job making decent money and you can have a career. Okay. That's like a guaranteed route. The sports writer route is, is a lot different, right? It's, it might not work out the actor route. Okay. If you're going to go, you want to be an actor or something that's not guaranteed either. So they're not going to push you towards those things. Um, so yeah, you know, with your own kids, you probably give them a little bit more freedom because, because they have a cushion to fall back on. Yeah. Um, getting back, getting back to like you and, and where we've talked about sort of how you operate and what you do, but what do you see for yourself 
moving forward in terms of growth? Like where do you see your practice and, and maybe other things? Have you thought about other things that you'd want to like try out and dive into moving forward? Yeah. I mean, I'm always interested in like real estate. I always have been like interested in real estate, like uh, investment properties or, you know, um, investing in like hotels and things like that. Like, you know, being a business attorney, I get to see like how a lot of deals are done and how they're structured. And, and there's a lot of like interesting ways, like interesting opportunities that come across my desk that I see. And so it always, it gives me that, uh, that kind of desire to also be an investor in like deals like that, you know? So my thing is like, I love the law and, you know, I thank God, knock on wood, do pretty well in my practice, but I want to create other streams of income that might be more like real estate based or, you know, what you would call passive, I guess you would would call it, where you're not actively managing uh, the property, but you're in with some people that kind of know that particular industry and you can leverage your contacts to get in on on those kinds of investments. Like, I, I like things like that. I like reading about those types of investments. I love reading prospectuses, pro forma statements, like, you know, I have friends that are, hey, there's this investment, you want to take a look? I'm like, yeah, send me the materials, I'll take a look at it, because it's just like learning stuff. It could be a, it could be a cannabis business, it could be, there's all kinds of stuff out there, you know, it could be buying a business from bankruptcy, uh, and, and being one of the bidders on this, biz, on, on a particular type of business, like, so I get to see a lot of, like, cool information and then I can like make a decision I I work with a good friend of mine who's um, he's a finance guy like I told you I'm not a math guy personally but he's a finance guy and so I like learning from him when he looks at all he does he does private equity so all they do is buy businesses right and so they look at a bunch of financials so I like working with him to see how his mind works of like oh how am I analyzing this deal what what are where are the gaps like what are the questions that we need to ask to make ourselves feel good that this is a good investment? So like, that's the type of stuff that I enjoy quite a bit. Um, w- one thing <clears throat> that I, I want, if, if you can share I, networking, you kind of tip, tipped it off before, like that's how you ended up being a partner at the firm your, uh, of your firm. Um, what has networking been to you and any suggestions or tips that you have personally for, for successful networking? Yeah, for me, you know, networking in my particular law practice has been everything to me. I mean, you know, the way that I kind of got into this B&I group, like I, I had never even heard of it. I, I, I tend to be like a personable person, like I'm personable. So like I like talking to people, being friendly. And, and I was working at my previous law firm, I think it was like a couple years in. Long story short, I, I was I broke my leg, okay? And as a result of breaking my leg, I had to be in a cast and then I needed to sort of, um, I, I needed to go to physical therapy once the cast was removed, okay? The physical therapy practice was across the street from the firm that I used to work at. So I used to go periodically, I'd go there and my physical therapist, um, Nina Figueroa, she was uh, she was a therapist at this like large physical therapy practice, and so she you know 
we started talking and she's like, oh, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a, I'm a lawyer. I represent some businesses and stuff. And she said, oh, great. I'm thinking of starting my own practice and I'll hire you when I do. And I thought to myself at the time, I was like two or three years in out of law school. I was like, yeah, okay. I don't think she's ever going to call me, but okay, sure, whatever. Lo and behold, a year later, she calls me and she's like, yeah, I'm ready to start my own practice. Let's go. I want to do it. And she knew nothing about me really, except that she was my, like I was her patient. Um, but she was new at, at her practice as well. So I guided her. I kind of got, I kept her away from some pitfalls. She opened a practice. She got two locations and everything. And then um, she was my first client. And she told me about this networking group, B&I. Um, and she's like, listen, I'm in this networking group. It's a bunch of business owners like me. You already got me as a client. Why don't you come and check it out? And I was like, okay, great. So I go there. And I can still remember. It's like, you know, I get there and I'm like, okay. Uh, they all get up and they do this chant of worth waking up for. I'm like, where the heck am I? I'm like, this is weird. Like this, are they going to ask me to like cut my palm and like, do a blood oath or something like that you know so so anyway so that's how I was introduced to B&I and then like it taught me how to like talk to people give a pitch um get clients and you know when you're in a small firm like if you're working at a huge law firm thousand attorneys believe me you don't have to worry about going out and getting business okay because it's there and you're there to work on the stuff that the big partners get to you. As as a smaller, working at a small firm, okay, yes, for the most part, in the beginning, the partners are going to give you business, but you should be always trying to make connections and getting business. Like, that's just the name of the game, because it makes you valuable to anybody, right? So once you develop connections, once you have your own clients, you can do anything you want. You're not you're not subject to the whims of other people getting you clients. So um, that that being in in B and I kind of accelerated that process for me. I learned so much, right? I learned how to pitch to people. I never had to do that before. How much do you charge for something? Like you have no idea, right? As a young attorney, because they don't teach you any of this stuff in law school, as you know, Richard. I mean, like we, we they never taught you how to run a practice in law school. So the only way you learn this stuff is by networking. There's no other, there's no other way and talking to people. And, you know, New York City is a place that lends itself to that. So I think it's just like, if, if you're a young attorney or if you're a young service professional, you have to network. It's just the way things happen, um, regardless of technology and all that. You've got to have face-to-face time with people and, kind of understand them and be there and say, look, I can help you solve that particular problem that you have. I'm, I'm available. I'm trustworthy. And so this networking group that we're a part of, B&I, because of the accountability, because we show up all the time, it shows people, look, this guy's dedicated. If I give him a problem to deal with, you know what? I can, I trust that he'll, he'll be there to take care of it. So I, I think networking is everything. Uh, it's some, it's something that I, I mean, I, I shared some of this with you. It's like something that I'm really learning. It's something, like you said, it's not something you law school. It's not something that it, it's a skill that you really takes time, effort and energy to, 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 to develop. And I really, so I appreciate you sharing that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I mean, start, and just really, just really quickly. Sorry. I mean, like, for example, when you're in law school, they don't teach you anything about billing. Like, <laughs> 
here, send this bill to this client and then like wait for their reaction. They don't teach you any, and, and like then deal with them when they say, hey, look, why'd you charge me this much? It should have been, you know, whatever. Like those are skills that you have to learn how to, you know, most people coming out of law school are young, never really held like a, like a job for the most part in a business environment before. And now they're being asked to go and start a business or start a law firm and like figure out a practice and send out invoices and deal with clients. Like it's like a brand new thing. I mean, so law school doesn't prepare you to be a lawyer or a business owner either. It's just, it's just, it's a degree that you get that shows people that look, at least he kind of knows what he's doing. Knows how to use, uh, do legal research is what I was saying. Um, very yeah, cool. Exactly. I, I wanted to start, uh, cause I, I, you've been very generous with your time and whatnot, uh, start pulling this together. I know you recently, um, well, you were living in, in the city for a while, but then moved to another place. How was, how was that experience in the con let's, let's jump a little COVID in this to, to timeline this. Um, how was that experience for you moving and whatnot during this period? Man, it was, uh, first of all, it, it's nerve wracking. Like it's crazy. I mean, you don't know what the heck is going on, right? I'm cooped up with my wife in our like one bedroom apartment. We had bought a new apartment and then we got the lockdown. So we're like, all right, well now <laughs> what are we going to do? We had already anticipated, <clears throat> excuse me, that we would have a two month kind of overlap between moving into the new place and moving out of the old place. But then once all of this happened, like I was like, I don't even know when this thing's going to end. Are they going to ever let us move out? My previous building put a complete moratorium on move in and move out. That's it. None. You're not allowed. The building that I bought in did the same exact thing. Okay. You cannot move in. You cannot move out. Okay. So I'm like, well, I gave it a little bit of time. I let like a month and a half pass. And I said, look, I got to get out of here because I'm not paying. I have a landlord. I'm not paying rent and a mortgage. It's like, that's not going to happen. So you guys need to figure this out. And luckily, you know, by that time it had, it was like the end of April when we moved, it had calmed down a little bit, like just enough that they were starting to allow people to move. So it was a, it was a nerve wracking process, man. It was, uh, it, it was, yeah difficult but then you know we had good movers a little shout out to uh blue moving from our chapter but they came in and they took care of everything you know like they packed it up we were we were barely there they brought it to the new place unpacked um so we were lucky we had some good help and all that kind of stuff but yeah it was, it was difficult wow. a lot of tips be, a lot of tips being handed out to a lot of doormen <laughs> let me put it that way <laughs> to let things slide and to let us get in oh, yeah, and yeah. use that, that use that service elevator um, yeah exactly let me ask you this again I, so because I, I don't want to hold you over um who's who would be a good if someone's listening to this who's a great connect or great contact potential client to reach out to you um for work oh i mean i i work in a, in a range of different industries but typically a, a good client for me is either an entrepreneur or a group of entrepreneurs that are trying to start a new business, okay? People that own existing businesses, okay, that are closely held companies. What's a closely held company? A closely held company is one that is not publicly traded, okay? So we're not talking about 
companies that have SEC issues and SEC filings and things like that. I don't handle securities law. Okay, these are typically service professionals um, or nonprofits with a few shareholders that are working together and that have businesses going on for years. And what, what I typically provide is, is like general counsel service. You know, a lot of smaller businesses, they don't have a lawyer on staff, right? They don't have a general counsel. They don't really need that. Uh, they don't need that full time, all the time. But when they do need somebody, they want to be able to be like, look, I got this contract. Let me send it to Anand and he'll take a look at it. He'll tell me what's wrong with it or what needs to be done. And I've taken care of that issue. So it's that, it's that entrepreneur or business that's looking for that type of, that type of service where it's like on demand as needed um, legal services. And um, that's, that's what I provide. So um, good, good, referral contacts for me are always other attorneys that don't handle business law. You'd be surprised. There's business law is fairly niche in New York, especially like the kind of stuff that I do is it's not like everyone doesn't do it. So um, other attorneys are great referral sources because they get, they run into clients that have lots of these types of issues that I handle. Yeah. Anand, this, this has been tremendous. I thank you so much for your time. I, I want to start wrapping up by just giving you the floor if you have maybe a final thought or two that you want to share with whoever's listening to this, whether it's about you, your life, your practice, the floor is yours. Oh man. Thank you. I, I just want to thank you for doing this because first of all, it's time out of your own day. You're an awesome host. You met, you, you asked amazing questions. I think I probably rambled on a lot in this, uh, in this particular podcast, but um, I'm going to hone my skills. I'll come see you again in a few months. We'll do it again. But I mean, I, I think, uh, I think I just want to, I appreciate you for allowing me the opportunity to kind of talk about my business. I mean, who doesn't like talking about themselves? So this podcast thing, like you, you're, you've got something going here, man. You, <laughs> hey, listen, you want to come on the show and talk about yourself for 45 minutes? Uh, why not? So I appreciate it. Thank you. That's very cool. Well, Anand, thank you so much. Thank you for everything you do for me personally. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Anand Kapasi, partner at Jones Wolf Kapasi here in New York City, business attorney. Heard it straight from the man himself. Uh, if you're an entrepreneur uh, looking for partnerships, nonprofit, uh, call him. I'll, put, I'll link up the, your contact info in the show notes. Um, and with that, again, Anand, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. And until next time, Air Nation, take care, be well. Bye for now. Hey there, Air Nation. Before we go, I wanted to remind you of the Super Affiliate Accelerator. Whether you're looking to get started with an online business or if you're struggling to see the traction you've been hoping for in your current online business, the Super Affiliate Accelerator can help you see the success that you want in your business and in your life. The Super Affiliate Accelerator is an all-in-one, high-ticket marketing community where you'll get access to proven training, weekly coaching and mentoring from seasoned and accomplished marketers who've sold millions of dollars in products and services online as well as access to a private mastermind community of like-minded and supportive business owners and professionals. Right now, the SAA coaches are offering a free complimentary business strategy call. So if you're ready to build a strong and profitable online business and brand, take advantage of the complimentary business strategy call today and learn more about the Super Affiliate Accelerator by visiting richardkiston.com forward slash SAA.